If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Tonight on Love and Respect, a conversation with entertainment icon Tyler Perry. Did the rough times prepare you in any way? Were there any blessings in the rough times? And in that preparedness, why did you never give up? I felt that there was something better in me, something bigger. So to be in those moments and and hold on was the hardest part because there was no roadmap to get there, nobody there to help me. Tyler Perry, coming up right now. Welcome back to Love and Respect to the audience, and welcome to Love and Respect. My hero, my icon, I'm walking black history, Mr. Tyler Perry. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank I you. love really the Alabama am. State, man. Th- you represent. Th- every every week, what yeah. I try to do is make sure I'm representing for HBCU or yeah. some type of trade school or college to, to keep our kids inspired. That's perfect, man. That's man, perfect. I am excited to be talking to you, so I'm going to do a lot less talking, mm-hmm. a lot of question asking, a lot of listening and learning. Okay. I want to first give credit to Betty Klontz, my grandmother. Uh-huh who forced me to go to the drugstore bi-weekly mm-hmm. to buy Tyler Perry DVDs of your plays. And the first three times at, I complained. At like, the drugstore? Yes, yeah, we would go to like CVS's they or were, Ar- They won't sell at the drugstore? They won't sell at the drugstore. Now, I don't know if they were legit. That's exactly why, that's where I, I was going I with know, this, that's, that's where I was going with this. In Alabama, she would send me and my sisters up, they had a little Tyler Perry rack. <laughs> yeah. And we'd get our Tyler yeah. Perry, we brought back the DVDs. And I'd be like, Mama, why are we going there? Because yeah. she was raised me and she was Mama. And by the third movie, and I'm just like, this reminds me a lot of you. Mm, so mm. I, um. I got to ask, man, you, the pride you must have from going to selling DVDs, from doing plays, to now this beautiful studio um, in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you're, a, you're a big reason that other studios are moving here. Wasn't just the tax breaks. You showed people what you can do with the tax breaks. And you've brought tons of jobs and employment, union jobs, and good jobs that people are proud of. What does that feel like? Um, exhausted. <laughs> exhausted. No, no, honestly, you know, for, for me, just... I didn't know it was going to be all of this, man. When I set out, I just all I wanted to do was own it, you know, have the ownership of it. My father worked his whole life for somebody else, and you know, he would build these houses. He would sell. He would. He was. A, he was a subcontractor. He would build them. The guy who owned it would sell it, make eighty, ninety thousand dollars. He'd make eight hundred dollars, and he'd be so happy. But it never made sense to me. So only I always wanted to be the guy who owned it, and being the guy who owned it. I didn't really fully understood understand all that came with it. So now I see the responsibility of it all. So it feels like a lot of responsibility, but I, I'm grateful for it. And I, I, I'm grateful that I was chosen to be in this moment out of all of the people that came before me. The ancestors wanted it to fall on me. So I got to hold it, hold it up as best I can. Yeah, when you talk yeah. about ownership, and I know in our community a lot of times we hear about being a boss and being um, a leader. Yeah. You know, a boss tells people what to do. Mm-hmm. A leader does it with the people. And I can tell you, I've seen a lot of bosses in this industry, but you truly have went further beyond that and became a leader. One of the things as a leader I've seen you do, besides provide jobs and opportunity for people, is when COVID broke out, it broke out about a month after our record dropped. Mm. Me and LP would run the Mm. jewels. And it froze everything, pushed the tour back two years, gave us time to just sit at home and not know what to do. That was scary. You as a leader developed a 30-page camp quarantine system of protocol yeah. that has really kept your space safe, has kept your actors and actresses safe, have kept your production safe as a leader. 
What does that feel like? Because that's one of the things that people don't think about when they think about having their own. You're responsible for a lot of lives. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And I could have went to the Bahamas. I have a place down there. I could have stayed there through this whole thing, drinking my time, smoking weed, and having a good time, right? You can invite me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> but on a serious note, I had this moment of, of clarity and going, okay, if you do that, what about all these people, man? Yeah. Some, some of them got kids in college. They've got new houses because I love to see them coming running up to me. Hey, my credit's so much better. I just bought a house. Because we have a lot of people that work here who have never been able to be in the business and never had this level of success. Yeah. We've got a lot of former prisoners that come out and, and come in. It's gripping electric. And these are my ride or dies, man. Just, so to see them doing well is great. But what, would I, what kind of man would I have been or leader to say, okay, I'm out. I'll be back when this is calmed down and we can go back to work. So I had to figure it out. There's leaders in our community, and I'm, I'm going to say this, hope I don't do it on mic. I'm going to put this out in there. My wife got me this for my birthday, but this lady right here, mm. Betty Clonson, that's her daughter, mm -hmm. on the other side, Denise. My wife bought me this. I know a lot of times rappers wear trinkets, but mm -hmm. Shayna got me this, and I've worn it every day since because the woman with the gray hair uh -huh. raised me. Oh. The woman with the gray hair sent me, I guess, to be by bootleg Tyler Perry yeah, yeah, yeah. movies, but made me a Betty. fan. Betty. Yeah. Betty okay. Clunts. Betty, Miss Ophelia, Miss May, um, May D, mm -hmm. Miss Mary, all of these beautiful black women were just a circle of people around me, raising me and all the other kids in the neighborhood. And I had two-parent household with my grandfather and grandmother. But there's something about the power of black women and the power of the counsel of them. Right. That, you know, people argue over sentiments of who should wear dresses, it's at characters or not. Those things are for them to argue. What I saw represented in Madea by the time I say my grandmother got me to the third plate, I was all in because I saw pieces of the women I grew up with. Yeah. yeah. I saw women that they, that understood the gospel, didn't, didn't know all the quotes. They didn't know the exact, yeah, the exact right, chapters. Right. I saw women that, from a moral standpoint, was making sure that people were glued together instead of torn apart. Who inspired Madea? Um, who, oh, yeah. was, who, was, who, was, who inspired the quote, if you treat women right, they bring everyone else? Mm. My, listen, my mother uh, was definitely a part of Madea. My aunt, Mayola, you know, then the first I can do battle by myself video with Medea. That wig is the exact wig my aunt Mayola had. And these women, man, they were so um, powerful and strong, and they had so much pain, and they had so much character, and, I, they, I, and they were just dismissed by every situation. So for me to do to come up with this, and my mother told me before she passed, she said, "Don't ever stop doing Medea because it was like one of her favorites." But to have to be able to pay homage to all of these women who—it's an homage right? to all these women who. Uh, paved the way for me and you and us because nobody came to this planet without coming through a woman, right? Absolutely. No black person came without coming through a black woman, Absolutely. right? So, so to have these uh, moments, these uh, opportunities to say, hey, thank you, you know, I appreciate it, your strength. And also what I realized with a lot of the generations now, we were just talking about this upstairs, how you can, they can't, um, if you raise your voice, you know, you're a bully. If you, if you get hit upside the head, you're abusive. You know, we, that's, we grew up in a totally different way. Like, that stuff was the norm. And, but it was these women who were very strict, very stern, said what they needed to say unapologetically, but showed you so much love at the same time. So that's what all this is for me, man. Just, just, and, and I didn't know it was going to go like this. Yeah, yeah I, th I thought I'd do it one play and be done with it. The audience wouldn't let it go. You have very Christian themes without being 
overtly Christian, like you don't hit people over the head with the Bible yeah. and say this this way or no way. A lot of the suffering and the pain that you talk about with women reminds me of stories like Job in the Bible, mm -hmm. of a steward of God but but endured un undeserved suffering and on the other side became more bountiful and God um, replaced all that was lost. If you look at Deborah in the Bible, a woman who God called a lead when men were afraid to, mm -hmm. your, your themes often remind me, because I was forced to go to church. We was, we was Baptist and practicing Pentecostal. Yeah, yeah. We went to church oh, twice. Oh, yeah. We went oh, yeah. to church in early morning service mm -hmm. at Mount Olive. Then you was in the Pentecostal church the last eight hours of the day. You was fasting on Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand it until recently. I can mm -hmm. really say during COVID brought me back to a sense of the spirituality that I was raised with and that as a Christian, as a steward yeah. of God, my job is not to just quote Bible scriptures, but your job really is to be the living embodiment of Christ. What brings you to the Christian themes? Even though you don't say, hey, you need to be a Christian, mm -hmm. you lead a very Christ-like existence in your art and out because you're with people in the streets yeah. who people ignore. Yeah. You empower people that are powerless. When you talk about using the field grips in production, mm -hmm. former prisoners, the last person Christ saved on earth was a prisoner, self-confessed mm -hmm. What brought you to that and were those women are, are part of what part of the experience brought you to say this is going to be a part so of this my is why life. I love talking to you because just the way you tie things together, man, that's that's really great. I yeah yeah. Listen, my mother for me, she took me to church every Sunday, and my grand my grandfather was a minister. My her, her his father was a minister. I, I, we can trace him all the way back to slavery. Uh, mm -hmm. Prince was was one of the earliest members of my ancestors that we were able to find who was also a minister. Mm -hmm. So to have that be in my DNA, you know, it's real. And for me, uh, a lot of my early work was about uh, how did I solve problems? Because, you know, I didn't travel much. I didn't see much of the world. But, but a lot of my problems were solved and worked out through prayer. Mm -hmm. So in the early work, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from my own experiences of what happened without trying to tell people, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what you should be. But rather, have you thought about this? Have you mm -hmm. considered this? You know, have you considered prayer? Have you considered God? Have you considered faith? Because as I look at where we are there every generation is getting further and further away from church right yeah. and as that happens and i understand there's so much craziness going on in church yeah. i understand and so much uh, negativity around what people quoting themselves as christian as they march on the capitol saying jesus and with their confederate flags right yeah. so there are people hey there ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster oh you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you yeah or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Who are moving away from what I and you and so many others grew up in which is so important that if you don't have that foundation and that base, what happens when there's trouble? Yeah. What happens when you're, you're stressed? Yeah. What happens when somebody yells at you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you go, okay, what's happening right now? Because you don't have the very basic thing that we were given to cope with. I wrote this song called uh, she gave me, You Gave Me Jesus about my mother. 
you know, she didn't have millions of dollars. She didn't have a legacy to leave, but she gave me Jesus to be able to pray. And that is what I what I wanted all this moment to be about. Whether you accept it or not, it's not my deal. I'm not here to force anybody, but just think about it. You're just a hero. Yeah. Part of your hero in my life has helped me come down 40 pounds, and I got about 100 more to go. Mm. You, um, I saw you getting on your health kick because yeah. you said that the same women that took care of you, the same women that were stewards for the church community, the same women that taught you the power of prayer, and a lot of those whoopings that get, me and you both kept the police yep. from whooping us, they weren't taking good care of themselves right. physically. Um, blood pressure, diabetes, heart problems. And I start seeing you post your numbers, yeah. and it start making me be more responsible and accountable. Um, nine more pounds down, according to my last doctor's visit, numbers are That's looking awesome. better every time. But in big part because I saw another big black man doing it. So that, talk yeah. to me about taking care of yourself, because as a leader, you're responsible for taking care of a lot of people. Yeah, and as a leader, also you set an example, right? Yes. So you know, and even for my son, I you know, when me getting up, and going to the gym in the morning and working out, I want him to know what that work, what that looks like. Yeah. You know, my dad went to the gym every morning. He worked out, then he went. He worked 10, 12 hours a day because I want him to have that work ethic. But what's important to me is that. Is letting us know what we don't know, right? There's yeah. so many of us that don't know that there are little simple changes in life that could that could affect your entire life. My mother, who was an incredible woman who took care of all of us, gave us everything we need, but she never put herself on the list. She never took care of herself. She never ate right. She never exercised and, and until it was too late. I mean, she died at 64 years old uh, from complications of diabetes. She had uh, cancer, uh, breast cancer that she had survived in the 80s. She had endured so much stuff that had she known, I think she would have been much a much different person. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had to go to Charity Hospital in New Orleans for our hospital visits, which you would sit there for 18 hours to see a resident yeah. to, if you needed something. So so if I've got the knowledge and I've got the information, I want to be able to share it. So I'm glad that it's inspiring other people. Let's talk about being misunderstood. Yeah. 54% um, of African Americans live in the South. Um, I think is that, that right? See, this is the thing that impressed me about you. Something when you start talking stats and numbers and names and people, man, I can't remember stuff <laughs> like that. I, you can tell me that today, and then two weeks later, I won't remember. Well, That's awesome. So, fifty-four percent. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Fifty-four percent. What we said. Fifty-four percent. Like my grandfather said, most black folks never left. Yeah, that's so right. we here, right? Yeah, yeah, New, yeah. New Orleans, Atlanta, mm -hmm. otherwise Charlotte, Tampa, Jacksonville, we here. And I think that oftentimes we run off to places like New York and Los Angeles, whether it's record deals or picture deals, and we're going to places that have the funding, but they don't have the proper understanding. Mm -hmm. You chose to stay here in the South. You were yeah. born and raised in New Orleans. Your business is primarily out of Atlanta, and you didn't run begging people to understand you. You built your own. So talk about um, how New York and Hollywood underserve us and how you saw that vacuum to, to exploit to the gain of not only yourself, but to thousands of people around you that are now employed and doing well. There was this thing called, I don't know if people still say this, what are you going to do to cross over? People still say that? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do to cross over? Because they used to always tell me, you've got this play in Medea and you've got all these black people, what are you going to do to cross over? Because crossing over is so important, which meant white people liking you. What are you going to do to appeal yeah. to white people? And I always found that offensive. I always thought, I don't need to do anything to appeal to any anybody other than who I'm appealing to. Like, mm -hmm. I can build what I'm building from here in this moment, right? Yeah. So coming from New Orleans, and I think Hurricane Katrina really showed the world how 
poverty exists there on a whole different level. It didn't even look like America at some points. Mm -hmm. So to be able to leave there and come to Atlanta and see black people doing well, it blew my mind. Like I had never seen black people in suits and business attire going to uh, restaurants and it was, it was mind blowing to yeah. see. So to have this um, entire situation happen and come here for Freaknik, by the way. I was coming for Freaknik. Yeah, and, uh, they brought a lot of people here. Brought, and, but, but it blew my mind. I knew this is where I needed to be. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so the South has always nurtured me. Yeah. And it's always been a place where I could get the truth. It's hard to get the truth in, in New York and Hollywood. Yeah. Because in Hollywood, you don't never know. Because the very person who's a PA today may be the boss of the company tomorrow, right? Yeah. So there's all of this complete and utter... Um, not telling the truth about things. They'll, they'll patronize you. In the South, they're like, Tyler, I watched that last movie, man. You need to work on that shit. That wasn't good at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I love the truth that they give me here, for, for honestly. After growing up in the South, um, it, I try to tell people, Atlanta was very special to me. I grew up in a neighborhood called Vicaria Heights, started by black folks for black folks. Mm -hmm. Had everybody from working class folks like my grandparents to Dr. King's parents in there. So I got a chance to see up the ladder, how far was possible and how far I could go. But my cousins who lived in Tuskegee didn't necessarily see that mm -hmm. to the degree I did. My cousins who lived in St. Pete, my cousins who were down in North Florida, they didn't necessarily see that, but once coming to Atlanta, much like you said, they saw the possibility mm -hmm. and they've grown. You had a rough childhood, to say the least. Mm -hmm. You had a father who was a subcontractor and was abusive. You are molested as a boy um, early, had no control over that. And then as an adult, sleeping in a geo at your height, a geo metro at your height <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is equivalent to a torture device. Yeah. And yet you did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you never, it seems, is when I hear you speak, you never stopped yourself from dreaming. Right. Um, did the rough times prepare you? in any way, were there any blessings in the rough times? And in that preparedness, why did you never give up? Here's what I knew. First of all, I was, I, 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 let me take you back a little bit. Okay. I had a, I remember praying, my uh, 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 uncle preaching, God, answer your prayer, God, answer your prayer. So I remember praying as a kid, saying, God, if you're real, give me some little people to take care of, because I thought the people inside of the television were real on Gilligan's Island. I thought I could go in the back of the television and get these people and take gotcha. care of them. So I'm a little boy, and I asked God to, to answer this prayer for me. And I kept waiting, never, you know, what's going to happen, because it wasn't real. Well, I come home from school one day, and the lady across the street, she's moving away, and she had two parakeets that she called Fifi and Pierre. And they talked, they spoke. And I came home, and my mother said, she left these for you. And I'm like, God had answered my prayer. So I had this whole thing of my whole life of, of praying and believing, right? So getting into uh, the, this moment and the business and the pain that I was going through and moving through all of that and the Geo Metro and all of those, all of those things, I was, still be, I was still praying. I was still believing because I always knew that there was something better. And I tell people, if you've got this spark of something in you that's bigger than you, this hope, this dream thing that you can't, the most frustrating part of my life was having these dreams and hopes and in the Geo Metro, knowing that all of this was in me. Yeah. It didn't know to this degree, but I felt that there was something better in me, something bigger. So to be in those moments and, and hold on was the hardest part because there was no roadmap to get there and nobody there to help me, yeah. right? So keeping the faith was very, very difficult, especially, I tell you, if I'd had a wife and kids at that time, man, I, I don't know if I would have made 
been this successful because I had to suffer it alone. Because yeah. if I if I had family looking at me, I would have made other choices, yeah. right? So um, all of that to say, moving through it was very difficult, but I could not give up because whatever this is in me, this burning thing to get there was too real. It wouldn't let me stop, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't let me give up. And had I, think about all these people who would have, not have this opportunity and chance. How have you found a spirit of forgiveness in it all? I, mm. I can say that, you know, I still haven't forgave the kid that punched me in my eye when I went to Adamsville Rec Center. Yeah. And your spirit, when you meet, is so unsuspicious. It's mm. so un what you usually would meet as, as an executive. Mm. You meet Tyler. Like, you invited us out to the grand opening of this is my wife. My, my wife's like, no, he, he personally picked the people that are coming. We're going. You're getting in a suit, buddy. <laughs> and when I came, yeah. I was just going to say, hey, thank yeah. you. And you kept me over for a minute and spoke to me. But how did you get past the pain? Have you forgiven your father yeah. for being abused? Oh. Have you forgiven yeah. the others? And and what, what advice would you give in terms of forgiveness and a burden that lifts off the human soul, if there is any? Let me tell you something. This may sound cliche. You may have heard it before. People say it all the time. But forgiveness, unforgiveness holds you. <clears throat> unforgiveness gives that person the power, right? Yeah. And why would you let somebody who hurt you, who did something awful to you, keep power over you? Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you're walking down the street and you see that person and your mood changes or you have an opportunity to go do something great and that person is there and you can't do it because of something they did, yeah. then you haven't forgiven. You haven't let, let it go. Yeah. But also getting an education and understanding of who my father was helped me. Like, you know, born in the South, brought to a 14-year-old girl named May Therese, whose father was a slave. She beat the hell out of him every day, tied him up in a potato sack and beat him. He was two years old because if he did something wrong, he was in the fields all day. So third grade education, could barely read, didn't know how to count very well. So he did what he knew how to do. Yeah. And out of all of his hell and all of the stuff that he did, it was easier for me to forgive it when I understood where it came from. Yeah. Somebody passed it down to him. Yeah. And then I think about my Aunt May, the one who raised him, her father, Papa Rod, who was a slave laying in the bed. I wonder what they did to him, yeah. right? So when I was a little boy, I remember seeing this man under these quilts laying in the bed with this leather skin that looked like a road map. Seeing him... And understanding that there was all of this pathology that happened to bring all of us to this point, I go, okay, how can you hold on to this pain and anger for what this man did when it was given to him? Doesn't make it right, yeah. but okay, I'm going to let that go the best I can, and I'm going to move on and be a better example for my son. Next time on Love and Respect, part two with Tyler Perry. One thing my father gave to me is the man had the most stupid work ethic I've ever seen in my life. Rain, sleet, snows, hurricanes, lightning, he was going. Even though we don't speak, he gets a check every month. I, he, I bought wow. a house and he's taken care of because he, I'm giving him exactly what he gave me. Financially, we were never hungry and the lights were never off, right? So I give him that. Coming from that place, watching his work ethic, I definitely have that because I don't know what kind of man I would have been had I seen a man that didn't work.
Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.